Thanks for checking out this week's podcast from Center Street Church. We pray it blesses, encourages, and inspires you. Well, we uh, welcome all of you who are joining us online, also those of you who are meeting together at uh, one of our other campuses uh, in Airdrie, uh, in Bridgeland. I uh, was there just a few weeks ago, uh, hi to Bridgeland, and also South Calgary was there just last week, and uh, God bless you folks, and then also those of you in Northwest Calgary. We're in a mini-series um, on Psalm 23, and today we're going to look at uh, specifically the importance of finding rest and restoration in our Lord, uh, a good reminder as we head into these summer months. So would you please stand with me? Join me in reading this psalm together again. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, thank you uh, for inspiring David to write these words, the words of this incredible, uh, beautiful psalm. Lord, help us to understand more fully uh, your intended meaning here. Uh, Soften our hearts that we might receive uh, your word today. And and Lord, give us the courage to respond in whatever way you'd have us to. For we pray it in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. may be seated. I'm sure that most of you would agree that we live in a culture that celebrates and places high value on being busy. Ask anyone, you know, how's your week going? And most of the time they'll respond, busy, crazy busy, stressed out of my mind, and other things like that. Most of us consider busyness to to be a badge of honor. And so we're prone to often talk about how busy we are because in our culture to not be busy well, that means you're sort of a slacker, uh, maybe even a burden to society. And who wants to be seen as that? And consequently, many people push the limits and end up stressed out, exhausted, and weary. And studies have shown that most of us are addicted to work, whether paid or unpaid, and are incredibly sleep-deprived. On average, people today are getting two hours less sleep a night than people did 50 years ago. Many people just don't know how to rest and relax. They don't know how to slow down and pace themselves. Now, of course, it's easy to talk about the bad habits of all those people in our society, but how about us? Full disclosure. Even though I've made some good progress in this area over the years, busyness is still one of my greatest struggles. I still say yes far too often and do far too much. So I'm definitely not a shining example of what I'm talking about today. And so this sermon is just for me. All right? may not apply to you at all, but it's for me. But... How about you? Are you always in a hurry? Is your to-do list unrealistically long and growing? Do you use your day off to catch up unfinished work? Do you feel guilty when you relax? Has anyone ever told you to, that you need to slow down? Is the only time you take a break when you're sick? Archibald Hart says humans were designed for camel travel but most people are now acting like supersonic jets we're living at a way too fast 
a pace. The pace of modern life is, is stretching us all beyond our limits. And inevitably, we get depleted physically, emotionally, and spiritually. And it's only a matter of time. And we begin to show the symptoms of depletion. For example, you know that you're depleted when you're easily irritated. The smallest thing just sets you off. You know you're depleted when you're excessively critical of yourself. You know where you start thinking irrational thoughts like you're hopeless, you're useless, you, you can't do anything right. And also when you're excessively cynical and critical of others. You know, you see three people laughing at the water cooler and you mutter to yourself, what a bunch of slackers. You know, if everyone had a work ethic like they do, we'd have to shut the company down. You know you're depleted when you're having trouble sleeping at night. You're feeling exhausted, overwhelmed, anxious, and fearful. Other symptoms of being depleted include overspending, overeating, overdrinking, and not just alcohol, but coffee and energy drinks. When we get depleted, some people escape into movies, magazines, pornography, surfing on the net. And in time, if we don't address this issue, we can get so depleted, we will do things that we never believed we were capable of doing. Like blowing up at someone who is very dear to us, or having an affair, or becoming abusive to the people that we care most about. Well, God never intended for us to live this way. Whether we're employed or work as a homemaker or as a student or volunteer, God intended work to be a gift, a blessing, and, and not a curse. Work was part of God's original design uh, for us. And we do something very godlike when we exercise the talents and the gifts that He's given to us to meet the needs of others and just make our world a better place. But God never intended our work to be our all-consuming passion. He never intended for work to take the place of our time with Him or our time with our loved ones. He never intended work to rob us of sleep and to leave us in a continual state of emotional and physical exhaustion. The truth is, in the same way that God gave us the gift of work, He also gave us the gift of rest. Do you realize that God considers rest as important as work? Some people think God is pleased only when they're working, when they're serving, when they're just being busy. But God also smiles when you rest. Just the way parents smile when their children are asleep. <laughs> Here in Psalm 23, King David describes his wonderful shepherd. And he says, My Lord, my good shepherd, makes me lie down in green pastures. That's really an image of resting. He leads me beside still waters. That's an image of being refreshed, recalibrated, and restored. David says, he makes me lie down. In other words, it isn't an option as far as God is concerned. We need to rest as much as we need to work, serve, and volunteer. Now, unfortunately, when it comes to making time to rest, let's be honest, most of us cheat. We know what's important, but we don't behave or live like it is. We overcommit our schedules, we overspend our bank accounts, and we overtax our physical and emotional health with too little sleep and regularly working into the evenings and even on our day off. We take on extra jobs to pay for stuff we really don't need. On top of that, worry and fear and insecurity often rob us of rest. And that is why our good shepherd wants us to lie down, and why he challenges us to stop and rest. It's also why 
we see here in Psalm 23 and other scriptures that God intentionally offers us at least three gifts that if received will give us the rest that God longs for us to have. So let's look at them, shall we? The first gift is he gives us the gift of himself. Philip Keller in his classic book on Psalm 23, he says, sheep don't lie down and rest easily. They're just real edgy creatures. Sheep can be panicked into a stampede even by a jackrabbit suddenly bounding from behind a bush. They're afraid of predators, which is a good thing. They're afraid of being roughed up by larger, stronger sheep. They can be upset when there's tension in the flock around the pecking order. They can be upset by hunger or thirst or irritating bugs and flies. Have you ever been irritated by a fly that just won't go away? Do you remember practically destroying your kitchen trying to get that critter? Or was I the only one that did that? You know? Well, sometimes a sheep will get so whipped up in, a, in, in such a frenzy, they'll bang their heads against a large stone or rock in hopes of killing the flies. And occasionally, in the process, they will kill themselves. But when a shepherd provides green pastures to eat, and pure water to drink, when a shepherd deals with predators and the bugs and the flies, when a shepherd confronts and resolves the reason for tension among the sheep, when the shepherd cares like that and shows his power like that and is consistently present with his sheep, the sheep learn in time to trust the shepherd and are able then to lie down and rest and David says that's what the Lord my shepherd is like as we learned last time our Lord the good shepherd loves us so much he is prepared to lay down his life for us which he did of course on the cross of Calvary his love for us is unconditional he loves and cares for us apart from what we do or don't do. He grieves when we walk away from him. But like a shepherd searching for a lost sheep or a parent frantically searching for a lost child, our Lord, the good shepherd, will continue to pursue us and search for us. And when we stop running and turn around in repentance the way the prodigal son did and reach out to him, it feels to him like he just reclaimed his most valuable possession. This is the kind of love the Lord, our shepherd, has for you and for me. The Lord, our shepherd, is all-powerful. And when we humble ourselves, when we admit our need, we ask for his help, he will strengthen and empower us to do what we can never do in our own strength. The Lord, our shepherd, is all-knowing. He knows everything there is to know about you and me. He knows what you're going through. He knows about the disappointments. He knows about the depth of your loss, the way others have hurt you and betrayed you, and he cares about those things. And one day he will bring justice to bear on those injustices. He knows all the good things that you've done, the generosity, the sacrifices you've done in his name that no one noticed, no one thanked you for, but he did. He's all-knowing. There's nothing that escapes his attention. The Lord, our shepherd, is everywhere present. He's fully present with us every moment of every day. And the more we live with that truth in our mind and we humble ourselves and attune our ear to his voice, the more we will sense his presence and his leading and guidance in our lives. The Lord, our shepherd, is also sovereign, which means he's in control. He's in charge. That means nothing comes my way 
without his awareness and his permission. And the Lord, our shepherd, is good. He's not only in control, he's not only sovereign, but he is a good God. He has my best interests at heart in all things, even though right now my circumstances may not make sense. What that means is this. For those of us who trust and love the Lord, no matter what we're facing, good, bad, or ugly, Romans 8.28 promises us that the Lord, our good shepherd, will work all things together for our ultimate good and his ultimate glory. David says, I'm able to rest because I've learned to trust this Lord. This loving, gracious, all-powerful, all-knowing, everywhere present, good and sovereign God. I'm able to rest because this Lord is my shepherd who's always with me. And because this Lord is my shepherd, because this Lord has given me the gift of himself, I lack nothing. I have all that I need. I'm able to be refreshed, restored, because this Lord provides nutritious food and pure water through his word through which I receive wisdom, direction, and true satisfaction. John 6, 35, Jesus declared this. He said, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty, spiritually speaking, of course. Now, here's the thing. If you're having trouble lying down, If you're having trouble letting go, relaxing, and resting, then who is it that you're really trusting? Because you see, that fundamentally is the issue. Many people aren't able to rest because they base their identity and their sense of worth on how successful they are in the eyes of others. If they're admired by many people, if they achieve a lot, if they have a lot, Well, they conclude they must be valuable, significant, and important. On the other hand, if they're lacking in these areas, they conclude that they're not valuable. And they will often, as a result, compete, compare, and live crazy busy lives in an attempt to somehow prove that they matter. Now, the Bible says you are valuable because God created you. And he doesn't make junk, folks. He created you and me. In God's eyes, you are priceless. You're a masterpiece. Totally unique. There's no one else on the planet like you. You are so valuable to God that he allowed his son Jesus to die for you and me. From God's perspective, it's not what you do or what you have, how well you're known or what you've accomplished that gives you worth. No, it's who you belong to that gives you value. And your creator, God, says, you belong to me. I created you. I love you. I died for you. I want to be your friend and be in relationship with you. You don't have to prove your worth because you already are extremely valuable. Now, the implication is pretty obvious. You have to make a choice about whether you're going to trust Christ or our culture. And it can't just be a mental assent kind of thing. It has to be a conviction to the core, at the core of your being. St. Augustine, who, like Solomon, experienced all that this life has to offer, he weighed in on this issue, and he came to this conclusion. He said, Oh God, you have made us for yourself, and our souls are restless until they find their rest in you. 
Augustine simply affirmed what King David said centuries earlier in Psalm 62.1. Truly my soul finds rest in God. My salvation comes from him. David essentially says, you must make a choice, but know this. You will only find true rest in your soul, true inner peace, when you put your whole trust in the Lord, in the Lord who is my shepherd. Isaiah put it like this. You will keep in perfect peace those whose minds are steadfast because they trust in you. So first of all, God offers us rest by giving us the gift of himself. An amazing, amazing gift. Secondly, God offers us rest by giving us the gift of Sabbath rest. In Genesis 2.1, we read this. Thus the heaven and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. Now, it's important to note here that God did not rest here because he was tired or because he needed to um, have his energy, I'm uh, sorry, his strength restored the way that we do. He rested or ceased creating because he was done creating and also because he, Father, Son, and Spirit, they wanted to sit back, as it were, and enjoy the creation. Now, God was also setting a pattern here for us to follow. He worked for six days and then rested. He stopped creating. He blessed the seventh day and made it holy to communicate a principle to us. And it's this, set aside one day a week to rest, to stop working, to cease doing what you always do. That's what Sabbath means. It means to stop. Now, just a side note. When people read Exodus 20 or Deuteronomy 5, in which God gives the Sabbath law to the Israelites, they've got all kinds of questions on whether we as Christians should be worshiping on the Sabbath, which is Saturday, and keep it holy. Now, I did my best to address that issue in part 27 and part 28 of the Old Testament Focus series, which, believe it or not, I did about 11 to 12 years ago already. But anyways, way back then, dealt with it. The purpose of this message, of course, is not to get into all of that, but I should emphasize this. There is a difference between Sabbath rest and the Sabbath law. God gave the Sabbath law to the Israelites in Exodus 20, Deuteronomy 5, to teach them the importance of ceasing from work one day out of seven, but also to point them to the true Sabbath rest, which is found in our ultimate rest in God through faith in Jesus Christ. The Sabbath law was really a shadow or a picture of something better to come, namely the new covenant in Jesus Christ the ultimate rest that we find in him. Colossians 2.13 says it so clearly. When you were dead in your sin, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the written code with its regulations that was against us and stood opposed to us. He took it away, nailing it to the cross. Therefore, on the basis of what we just read, therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. 
Ray Stedman tells of a time when he was in his early 20s, engaged to a lovely girl who lived at, in another state. And because of circumstances, he hadn't seen her in three to four years, which is a you know, fairly lengthy time. And remember, those are days when you didn't have FaceTime or Skype. Anyways, they regularly wrote letters to each other, and in one of those letters, she sent him a picture of herself. And he put that picture on his desk, he looked at it regularly, and he was very glad to have that picture. But one day, she came to see him, and he saw her face to face. And they were soon married, and now that he daily saw her face to face, the picture, though appreciated, was no longer necessary. And church, this is exactly what happened to the Old Testament shadows, including all the sacrifices for sin that were being made, the rituals, the feasts, the festivals, the tabernacle, the high priest, and yes, the Sabbath. When Jesus came, died once for all, and rose from death, the picture was no longer necessary. The weekly Sabbath law, not the Sabbath rest principle, but the Sabbath law ended at the cross. Now, make no mistake, Sunday has not replaced Saturday as the Sabbath. The Sabbath has always been Saturday and always will be because it's the seventh day of the week. Sunday is the first day of the week. Now, in Acts chapter 20, verse 7, we get a glimpse of a worship service in the early church. And we're told that they met on the first day of the week, at times referred to as the Lord's Day in the Scriptures. See, Christians began to worship on Sunday and set it apart for rest because Christ's resurrection happened on the first day of the week. And so even though the shadow Sabbath or the Sabbath law that we read about in Exodus 20 ended at the cross of Christ, the true Sabbath or a life of resting in God for our salvation and a life of ceasing from work one day of seven the way that God did in Genesis 2 continues to this day. Hebrews 4.9 puts it so well. There remains then a Sabbath rest, not a Sabbath law, but a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from his own work, just as God did from his. And so the true Sabbath is not only ceasing from your work, to rest, but also ceasing from your own efforts, your own striving, your own works to be acceptable to God, and instead depending totally, resting totally in the work of Jesus Christ, not only to save you from your sins, but to live his resurrection life through you. And so here in Genesis 2, when God blesses the seventh day and makes it holy, he is teaching and he's modeling for us the importance of the principle of Sabbath rest, ceasing from work one day of seven. He's essentially saying, look, I created you. I know you. I know how you're wired up. And Sabbath rest is critical to your well-being. It's as critical as breathing. It's as critical as sleeping. Now, sure, you can put off sleep for a while. But eventually, sleep will have its way with you. Now, we understand that about sleep. But we often don't believe God about the importance of Sabbath rest. When we don't take a day off, we're basically saying, you know, I've got so much to do. You know, and I am so important that if I take this time off, I mean, the whole company is going to cave in. I mean, the world's going to fall apart. Well, let me remind you of Colossians 1.17. Colossians 1.17 says, God is holding the universe together. So it's not going to fall apart while you're sleeping or when you take a day of rest. And even if God's 
decides that time's up for you and he calls you home, the world will carry on as it always has, hardly missing a beat. And whatever you didn't get done, someone else will pick up and do. Someone will take our place in the corporation. Someone will take our stuff and either use it or more likely throw it away. And someone else will love and receive the love of our loved ones. That's just the way it is. That's why God instituted the Sabbath. Not just to get us to lean on Him, to trust Him and rest in Him, but also to stop and reflect on those realities that I just made reference to. And to keep things in perspective because a lot of times we don't reflect anymore. We don't stop to reflect and think about why we do what we do and why sometimes we operate almost near insanity in the way we function. Now, if you don't believe in God, if you don't see Him as your good shepherd the way that David did, then I guess it does all depend on you. And so that means you do have cause to worry because it's all on you. And uh, so makes sense you don't rest. makes sense that you just work and strive incessantly and be as busy as ever and work harder and harder until you drop. But as I said earlier, if you believe, as David did, that the Lord is your shepherd, that he is in control, that he is good and gracious and totally trustworthy, then you and me, we can relax. We can let go. And we can enjoy Sabbath rest. I can entrust my family to him. I can entrust our church to him. You can entrust your business, your job, or your lack of a job to Him. You can entrust Him with your fear of failure, your feelings of inadequacy. You can rest in His sovereignty. So practically, what might God's gift of Sabbath rest or a day of rest involve? Well, first of all, it involves stopping. Stop doing what you normally do the other six days of the week. If you do physical labor, the other six days of the week, cease from that kind of activity on your day of rest. If you sit at a desk, attend meetings a lot, do a lot of reading, cease from that, get up and do something active. The important thing is, let go of the routine, the obligations, the pressures, and the deadlines. Sleep in. What a concept. Or take a good nap on your day off. I see some of you are already doing that. It's good. You're catching up on that two hours you're losing every night. Yes. All right. Notice again, David says, He, God, makes me lie down in green pastures. Now, please understand, it's okay to work hard when you work. But if you ignore the day of rest again and again, one day, you're going to lie down for a day, a week, a month, or even more, in the hospital. Not because you want to, but because you won't have a choice. Now, when you take your Sabbath day, I mean, that's going to vary. Because some of us work Saturday and Sunday. Now, I know some of you think that I only work Saturday and Sundays. You know, <laughs> at least you joke about it often. And when I'm not speaking, you make a point of asking me if I enjoyed my week off. That is so encouraging to hear, by the way. But seriously, <laughs> I work from Tuesday to Sunday. And so I have my Sabbath rest on Monday. In Mark 2, 27, Jesus said, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. He's saying, what day you have your Sabbath rest isn't important. But make no mistake, it is important you have a Sabbath rest 
and that you identify a day for your Sabbath rest that it becomes part of your rhythm. And yes, there will be days, there will be times and circumstances where you're not going to be able to have your Sabbath rest on the usual day. It happens to me once in a while. Mondays, there's something that comes up. I have to do something different. But it needs to be part of your rhythm, your routine. Now, I used to feel guilty for taking a day off. In fact, I used to feel guilty, um, uh, you know, telling anyone that I took a day off. And so I would often allow, you know, requests of people and unfinished work just creep into my day off to pretty soon it just was another work day. But I've learned the hard way, but I've learned that I'm not only disobeying God, but I'm really hurting myself when I don't take a day off for rest. As a wise person once said, if we burn the candle at both ends, we're not as bright as we think we are. Any wise parent knows that if a child doesn't get proper rest, they are a basket case. They are a nightmare the next day. And so you make them lie down whether they want to or not. Why do we think things change if we cheat on our day of rest? God says, I don't care about deadlines. One day of seven don't work. Take a Sabbath day and you'll work far more effectively, far more creatively, far more efficiently the other six days. So first of all, Sabbath rest involves stopping, taking a day off to rest and to recalibrate. Secondly, Sabbath rest involves recharging emotionally. Sleep helps the body, but it doesn't do much for the soul. And God wants us to revitalize our soul. One way to recharge your soul is through recreation or a hobby. And this involves engaging in a number of fun activities, however you may define that. For some, having fun is going to amusement parks and going up and down and around until you're sick and senseless. <laughs> Others like camping, going for a hike and being chased by cougars and bears. <laughs> you may have picked up that those aren't some of my favorites, but anyways. Some play sports, go cycling, some other form of recreation. Still, others create something. They paint a picture, they build something. Others get together with friends that they enjoy being with, not those that they run from, those that they enjoy being with, and they do something fun together. Which reminds me of Ecclesiastes chapter 9, verse 9, which says, Enjoy life with your wife, whom you love. And all the wives said... Amen. That was weak. That was weak. Yeah, I could just figure it out. You're, you're saying, you know, be gone on your day off. Yes, be away. Anyways, for those wives that did say amen with a little bit of gusto, husbands, I suggest you memorize that verse. And on your day of rest, stay home, relax, talk to your wife, play with your kids, or if you prefer, talk to your kids and play with your wife. <laughs> and all the husbands said, oh, there we go. All that to say, whatever, you, whatever makes you feel fully alive and gives you great delight, do that. And as you do, make sure you give it all you've got. Play hard and laugh hard. Solomon said that laughter is good medicine. It flushes out the nervous system. So first use your Sabbath rest day to stop and rest physically. Second, to recharge emotionally. And thirdly, use it to refocus spiritually. <clears throat> Psalm 46.10 says, Be still and know that I am God. Sabbath rest, of course, involves, you know, having a nap. It involves having some fun. But it needs to be more than just a fun day. It needs to also involve a time of reflection, a time in God's Word. Sabbath rest is a time to remind myself that He's God and, and I'm not. It's time to get into the Scriptures and to hear from Him, to be reminded of His love for me, His promise that 
I am his child by faith. And that he can be trusted in all things. It's taking some time to read a good book. To listen to inspiring worship music. And to just stop. And to worship him. And to praise and thank him. For his goodness and all that he has done. All of his blessings. It's a time of stopping and taking whatever is heavy on your heart to God in a time of prayer. Sabbath rest is also a time to refocus on the eternal matters of life. You know, to reread your life credo um, statement, which, which I encourage everyone to write up sometime. Um, what is a credo statement? It's kind of where you write out your life priorities, what's really going to matter to you at the end. When it's all said and done, how will you have wanted to live your life? What are the priorities you will have wanted to invest your life in? Write those out and then pull it out on a regular basis and look at your life and ask yourself, is there any resemblance between my calendar and my priorities and what's going to matter to me in the end? Jesus once said, oh, by the way, if you want a copy of mine, um, you know, just... Uh, give your name to someone at the information uh, counter and we'll get that to you. Jesus once said, what good is it if someone gains the whole world and loses their soul? The Lord wants us to stop and to ask that question or questions like it once in a while, especially on our day of rest. He wants us to stop and examine, as I said a moment ago, our priorities and ourselves and ask ourselves, do the items on my calendar and the way that I'm living my life, do they reflect in any way what's most important to me and what's most important to God? And so God offers us rest by giving us the gift of himself and secondly, the gift of Sabbath rest. And then thirdly, and really quickly, he offers us the gift of Jesus' rest. While he was on earth, Jesus gave his high, highest priority to his relationship with his heavenly Father. Even though he is God, he chose not to exercise his divine attributes while he was on the planet, but rather to live as we do. He was fully human, and therefore, he faced the same temptations and the same issues we face. And yet, during his 33 years on earth, this God-man Jesus, he lived every day in total dependence upon his heavenly Father to live in him and through him. And friends, that is very instructive to us when it comes to this issue of rest. In Matthew eleven twenty-eight, Jesus said, when, when Jesus says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. He's teaching us that the key to true rest for our souls is found in living in humble dependence on him on a moment-by-moment -moment basis in the same way that he lived in humble dependence upon his heavenly Father. Practically, that means coming to Jesus more than once a week on our day of rest, as important as that is. It's more than coming to church to worship and be taught from the scriptures, as we're doing right now, as important as that is. Jesus is giving us the gift of being with him all the time. He's inviting us to come to him at all times, even as he would regularly be in communication with his heavenly father. He's inviting us to daily go to a special place and to give him our burdens and to ask for direction and to hear from him through our time in the scriptures. Even more so though, he's inviting us to stop several times a day for five or ten minutes in the morning, noon, toward evening to consciously focus on him to lay our burdens down and again to receive wisdom and renewed power from him just by reading a passage of scripture. But more than that, he's actually inviting us to consciously 
include him in everything, to walk with him, to talk with him, and listen to him all day long. You know, years ago, you couldn't get away with that. People saw your lips moving, and they thought, whoa, Nowadays, I walk up to people, I think they're talking to me. They're not talking to me at all. They're on their, their, their cell phone talking to somebody else. So you can get away with that. You can be in touch with him all day long. And as we intentionally live each moment with the awareness that the Lord is our shepherd, that he is with us, he promises that we will find rest for our soul. I'll close with this. Howard Rutledge was a U.S. Air Force pilot. And he was shot down over North Vietnam during the early stages of that ugly war. He spent several miserable years in the hands of his captors before being released at the war's completion. In his book entitled, In the Presence of Mine Enemies, he was put in a position of forced rest, long periods of interrupted silence while in solitary confinement. He was not a Christ follower. In fact, before this incident, he had little time for God. And this is what he writes. During those longer periods of enforced reflection, it became so much easier to separate the important from the trivial, the worthwhile from the waste. For example, in the past, I usually worked or played hard on Sundays and had no time for church. For years, my wife Phyllis had encouraged me to join the family at church. She never nagged or scolded. She just kept hoping. But I was too busy, too preoccupied to spend one or two short hours a week thinking about the really important things in life. Now these sights and sounds and smells of death were all around me. My hunger for spiritual food soon outdid my hunger for a steak. Now I wanted to know about that part of me that will never die. Now I want to talk about God and Christ and the church. But in solitary confinement, there was no pastor, no Sunday school teacher, no Bible, no hymn book, no community of believers to guide and sustain me. I had completely neglected the spiritual dimension of my life. It took prison to show me how empty life is without God. And friends, I guess what I want to ask as we wrap up is, what will it take to show you your need for God? You amass possessions and power, position, pleasure, and fame. And you pour your life into it, your passion, your energy, until you finally have them. And then you leave them all behind. Is it worth living for? Is it worth giving everything you have? Are you even taking some time one day a week to stop and to think long and hard about these kind of eternal questions? That ache in your soul, friend, that you're trying to fill won't find rest except in God and God alone. Friend, if the Lord is truly your shepherd, then he wants you to lie down and rest. He wants to lead you beside still waters to refresh and restore your soul. If your life feels like it's spiraling out of control, if you feel overwhelmed, if you feel overextended, I know that humanly it sounds counterintuitive. But I challenge you to stop this week in the morning and spend even just 15 minutes every morning with Jesus, reading his word, laying your burdens down, and inviting him to walk with you that day. I challenge you to stop midday, and then again later in the day, just for five or 10 minutes, and just read a portion of his word, and just say, Lord, what are you saying to me? And give him whatever concern you have in your heart. I challenge you to stop one day this week, to do Sabbath rest in the way we've been talking about.
Do that for the next two months this summer. And see increasingly, if you don't find yourself more full of peace and joy, a peace and joy that, that you're having a hard time explaining, I pray it will be so. To the glory of God and for the sake of a world that needs the Jesus that we know and love and are looking to us to see if our Lord is the real deal in our lives. Would you please stand as we close? Let's just open our hands to the Lord. And just ask those two questions. Lord, what are you saying to me? What are you saying to me about Sabbath rest? And Lord, what is it you want me to do about it? What's one step you want me to take? Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for these words you inspired David to write in this wonderful song. And I pray for every person here, Lord, that as we have taken a moment even now and will this week to reflect that whatever it is that we've heard, Lord, that we will respond not out of some sense of duty but out of an awareness that you have our best interests at heart out of a deep desire to do what is right and good out of our love for you and an awareness that we that you created us, you wired us up to live this way. We pray this all in your precious name. And now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his precious peace. In the name of God the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Amen. God be with you. Thanks for listening. We hope this message has impacted you. We'd like to challenge you to take it one step further and get connected. For any questions or prayer, please visit our website at cschurch.ca. You can also like us on Facebook or follow us on Twitter.